Barbie is an IP that is so popular. They don't need to draw you in. It's not like selling milk or toilet paper. This is a <laughs> franchise that has been around for, you know, in our lifetimes, our parents, our grandparents, like this is a huge, huge thing and they can capitalize on that. And I think that's what's really interesting, even about um, in the industry I work in, in gaming, we're working with people that are extreme fans. They're huge fans, are yeah. already engaged. So it's almost like, how can we surprise and delight the people that already know everything there is about this IP even more? Hello and welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked. If you were expecting attention seekers, we are the same podcast from Performance Marketing World, but we have undergone a little makeover. We now bring you Performance Marketing Unlocked, grown from our big annual conference in March, bringing you all the expertise and world-class speakers from the Unlocked event, but now available all year round keeping you up to date with the latest and greatest in performance marketing by cracking the code of a new topic each week. From TikTok to ChatGPT to the Metaverse and PPC. This is Performance Marketing Unlocked. For our first episode, we will be hearing from Perla Bloom, Global Marketing Strategy Manager at EA Games. Hello, hi Lucy. Hi Perla, how are you doing? Welcome Good. to the Unlocked Studio. Thank you. God, I'm really like, really flattered that I'm part of the makeover. Oh, you are the, the makeover, the do first it justice <laughs> <laughs> on this post-bank holiday weekend, I weekday. I know, but none of us Brave are hungover. Of us. Brave of us both, to be honest. Yeah. Actually, I think it's, we're ambitious people. Strength so. of character, I think it shows. Definitely, I completely <laughs> agree. So, Perla, what are you bringing into the studio to unlock today? The gaming community and virtual spaces. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we like to start all of our guests off with a, a simple question. Yeah. What has been getting your attention recently? Well, to be honest, mine is a really basic answer and I'm sorry about that in advance but hopefully I can shed light on why um, so we've all seen uh, the Barbie movie uh, trailer oh my gosh I can't wait for it to come out yeah I thought it was unbelievable like not only just the trailer but the whole kind of what we've seen in marketing mm -hmm. so far okay well just you know Margot Robbie's foot uh, I was going to say, was it Chrissy, Chrissy Teigen that... Um, oh, for God's sake, yeah. I want to know how they did it, everything about it. Chrissy Teigen's never heard of CGI, and it's very interesting um, <laughs> to hear how many... Because I, I feel like, because we're like nearer the industry, we know how these all these little secrets work, but it's interesting to see how some people don't. Although I would say she is kind of near the industry, so I'm a bit shocked at that whole revelation. For those of you who don't know, Chrissy Teigen tweeted that she wanted to make it see an entire documentary about how... They got Margot Robbie's foot there without the heel, like in place, like a plastic doll. I think it's obvious. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was, yeah, a bit of an interesting reaction, but hey, it's one of the big reactions it did get. Um, but what I enjoyed a lot as well were the Easter eggs in the trailer. Like they didn't actually, not unlike a lot of Hollywood trailers that you see for films, it didn't actually unpack a lot. No. It was quite uh, vague. You saw like the star-studded cast already, which wow. Um, I mean, oh no expense on that, yeah. Um, which is also interesting because obviously um, that on TikTok and etc., people were uh, kind of. I kind of hate this culture that we have nowadays. Actually, of this um, filming films being filmed and people putting it all over TikTok. I understand it's exciting, but it is kind of annoying for me. It just ruins the world a little bit. Yeah, you're seeing it through too many screens. Yeah. yeah, and so I was a bit worried already because we saw a lot 
being revealed like we all, we saw Margot and Ryan Gosling rollerblading already yeah, we saw yeah. those scenes so or I think I don't know like maybe they had those conversations before they made that trailer they were like already people have seen x y and z scene we need to be really vague so why don't we try and um hint at what the story is about through mm. things like easter eggs so I don't know if you how close you watched the trailer but they had those like Wizard of Oz I, I saw, Images. I didn't see that myself, but I saw someone else write about it. So we I ain't in Kansas anymore. I think that's what they were trying to tell us. Yes, that, yeah. you know, they're going to try and leave Barbie land. But they didn't explicitly say that in the trailer, which I thought was a really interesting angle to go in. Because mm. most trailers would have just, you know, revealed it. It's but, a really yeah. interesting thing because they're almost leaving it up to the to the consumer, to the, you know, yeah. potential viewers to unpack everything. They give, you know, very well hidden clues and then they leave, okay, you can do the because marketing Because they now. can, because Barbie is an IP that is so popular. They don't need to draw you in. It's not like selling milk or toilet paper. This is a <laughs> franchise <laughs> that has been around for, you know, in our lifetimes, our parents, our grandparents, like this is a huge, huge thing and they can capitalise on that. And I think that's what's really interesting, even about um, in the industry I work in, in gaming, we're working with people that are extreme fans. They're huge fans, are yeah. already engaged. So it's almost like, how can we surprise and delight the people that already know everything there is about this IP mm-hmm. even more? Um, which is why I really liked their um, putting yourself in the movie poster. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that can be seen as obviously really basic and the execution isn't like unbelievable. Like the no, tech yeah. isn't incredible, but the match between the image and the copy is quite interesting. Mm. And because of the nature of Barbie and, you know, the fact that it's all about, you know, discovery, possibility, aspiration, so putting yourself, something as simple as that, as putting yourself in the movie uh, poster was so, um, was so successful and has just done all the marketing for them as well Mm. i can see how it also really closely links to the gaming community because it is this virtual world reminds me of the sims yeah because it's quite escapist um and you know everything's very brightly colored escapist but they're not really as well like have you seen all the controversies that have happened in barbie um in the last you know 50 60 70 years how long Mm. however long it's been around you know how barbie's waist was too small and people need to want to be able to see themselves and why does barbie not have a serious job why can't women have serious jobs like yes it's escapism and it's aspiration but it's also like has to have some sort of representation Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. why it reminds me so much of the sims because it's not just about a fake fantasy world it's about being able to live maybe different realities to what you're currently living based on who you are Mm -hmm. already not completely from scratch and I guess also the controversy probably brings people in as well because it's been you know hit by the press so much over the last couple decades with representation and things like that it's now like okay you're making a film about it how are you going to be different because you can't follow on from the same narrative otherwise it's just gonna get slammed that's such an interesting point actually yeah it's like the story the film if it was been being made in the 50s could not be the same storyline as it is now i hope not well that's (laughs) yeah exactly they're kind of taking the mick out of themselves already you can see this like hi barbie hi ken yes yeah um and the fact that they're like oh can i stay the night and she's like why and she's like i don't know actually <laughs> yeah i love that i love that it's really playing on that innocence like we are children's toys we ha- we have no idea we yeah. are we are adult bodies 
but have the mentality of children still. Exactly. So. They've really had to respect that world in some way. So I'm going to be so interested to see what the actual film has in store, but I've been really, really impressed about how they've expanded on that world outside in the marketing. I think it, it's a very hard thing to do, but to be culturally relevant, but also respectful of the universe that you're playing in. Mm-hmm. So I think they've done a really good job of that already, and I think they must have reacted to the behind the scenes TikTokers who have already seen some of the scenes and thinking, okay, well, we can't say exactly what this is about. Mm-hmm. So how do we surprise and delight, get people to discuss? That's another angle that we do as well in gaming. It's like gamers, especially, um, I hate using that term. I don't usually like saying gamers because for me, it's like saying TV watchers or people okay, that what would you say take the train. We call, um, we call them players, our individual players of each franchise. I'll be like Battlefield players, Sims players. Yeah. But even then, that shouldn't we shouldn't really call them that. But, you know, this is just how we refer to them. Um, but we use that as well. Like, a lot of the time, when somebody loves a an IP so much and knows it so much, they don't want things spelled out to them. They want you to give um, enough for them to feel inspired and excited by it but they want to play around with it themselves, which is why it was so interesting what they did, like handing over their IP to people um, and saying, put yourself in this universe that we're giving you. Um, And it is, yeah, as I said, like it's something that we try and do as well. I guess it's kind of respecting their intelligence on the topic as well. It's kind of saying, we don't need to explain it for you because we know that this isn't just our thing. It's shared with this massive community. Exactly. And we do Easter eggs as well. Like a lot of the time... um, in Battlefield, what we've done uh, previously is, you know, frame by frame, we'll put something in and we know that on Reddit, on Twitter, on everywhere, they'll be discussed by the players and those communities, which is part of the fun of working on things like this and on popular IP. The main chunk of this podcast is about ratings, which as marketers, everyone's obsessed with their ratings, you know, however, yeah. whatever it's doing. And so we've asked you to bring something that is underrated and overrated, so... And I've got one answer for you, Lucy, and um, I'll explain it in a second. (laughs) What I think is both under and overrated in this uh, industry is the metaverse. Nice. Oi, oi. Mm. Yeah, what's she going to say? Hear me out. (laughs) Yeah, I'll give you you the space for I (laughs) talk about the metaverse a lot. Um, I love what it can stand for, what it's going to bring, how it's leaning into people's behaviour and our culture. What I don't like is how vast people, how vast the meaning metaverse can be, Mm. how reductive people can think of it versus what possibilities actually lie within it. So... What I think is overrated is this idea that the metaverse are simply um, virtual spaces, virtual environments, things that gaming companies have been doing for decades, to be really honest with you. Obviously, it's really innovative for um, FMCG brands, you know, other kind of brands that have never been in that virtual space to then put a physical product in a virtual environment. Obviously, I'm not taking away from that. What I would say, though, is I don't know if um, this kind of media is always... The best thing for brands right now, especially during economic uncertainty, I don't think spending hundreds of thousands of pounds, dollars, whatever, on this might be the best thing to do. I think where the interest lies and where people should be thinking about this more is when you peel back the layers. So obviously this like end product, or I don't know if it's ever going to be an end product of the metaverse, but at least when Web3 comes into play and the internet has resurfaced into something a little bit different, 
Um, the technology to get to that point doesn't exist yet, but I think there is stuff that's happening now that people are not focusing on enough. So things like digital ownership, digital collectibles, and I know I'm going to say it, NFTs. <laughs> and it's because um, it's been given a bad rep. It's not been used in the best way thus far. It's been used in a very company and business first way versus a consumer and consumer behavior first way. And it's why finance bros have come in and made it um, like badly, kind of like a taboo. Like people don't really want to talk about it anymore. And it's why it's already been rebranded as digital collectibles. I know, it's kind of gone onto that crypto kind of yeah. bracket. But if we actually look at what blockchain technology can bring us, like number one, it's going to revolutionize this creator economy that has existed since Web 2. So, you know, the YouTubers of the world who, um, if they don't have, um, you know, a certain amount of followers, they're not going to make the money that they deserve. Um, it's still these bigger uh, social media companies who are um, controlling their algorithms and controlling how these creators make money from their own creation so even that's in that sense they're going to be able to own their art own their creations in a way they haven't been able to before which has been a fatal flaw of the internet since you know 1994 bill gates even said that he was like create creators are king and i think the big disappointment we've got with the internet so far is that these people will not be um paid for what they have given us but then with that, even if we don't think about creators, like creators aside, we think about us and our relationship with brands and how we engage with brand experiences. It's going to revolutionize that as well. Like being able to own and own a stake in the brands that we're passionate about is not only going to open up these um, into bigger communities, but it means that we're going to be able to co-create and we're actually going to be able to build the future of these brands together. We're already seeing it with stuff like um, Dot Swoosh, like Nike's NFT marketplace. Mm -hmm. People are able to co-create. Like this, this idea of co-creation isn't new. Like IKEA did it a few, like I think like 2011 or something. They did that. But I think what's great about this underlying crypto technology is that it's going to be so accessible. Um, you don't have to win some sort of competition to be able to um, see your creations come into fruition. It's going to be a lot more automized. Mm -hmm. um, and it just means also, uh, one thing I have to mention <laughs> is the integration of AI as well. Of people course, think yeah. of AI, people think that like people, we were talking about the metaverse for like a few years mm -hmm. and now AI's come in. Okay, cool. Let's chat about chat GPT and mid journey. no. It's all going to be integrated into the same kind of futuristic um, element of the internet. Like AI is going to make creativity a lot more accessible, as we've seen. Um, and it's going to, uh, you know, lean into this idea of creation, co-creation um, in even more ways. So that's like even just what's happening now. And then also we're seeing the music industry really lean heavily into what that can do for personalized fandom. Um, my favorite example of one I've harped on a lot about, and I'm sorry if <laughs> anyone's ever seen multiple <laughs> occasions of me speaking, um, has seen me talk about this again, uh, is the King of, Kings of Leon album. Mm -hmm. So they released it into three different types of NFTs. Um, and according to how uh, engaged you were with the Kings of Leon and how much of a fan you thought you were, you could buy different levels of NFTs. So you could buy maybe the one that affords you different um, artistic elements of the album, one that gives you uh, live events uh, cred. So you're able to sit front, front row basically for every Kings of Leon um, concert. 
essentially just different levels of fandom and that's something Mm -hmm. we haven't really seen before like already we're seeing with the Beyonce ticket sell out how people are like concerts should be gatekept kept gatekept 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 starting new verbs list here it really is difficult (laughs) isn't it um because people um are able to you know, spend $300, $400 on these um, concert tickets, but they don't know anything from Beyonce's first, second, third album. I think people feel quite passionately about how you should be rewarded for um, the engagement that you have with that particular um, brand or artist. Um, And I think that's how communities, that's what communities are built upon as well. If you can't even count on, you know, being at a Beyonce concert, looking around and then being genuine Beyonce fans, I'm like, what's the point? Mm. So I think people are becoming a little bit more um, focused on those kind of things. But sorry, I've gone off on a massive no, tangent. I mean, I'm having to write down so many notes. I've got so much to unpack here from AI to Beyonce. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, talk, I try and sit Beyonce in and everything I speak about. But yeah, so in short, yeah, I think digital collectibles, digital ownership is what we should actually be talking about versus saying just the metaverse. Mm -hmm. I think people should actually um, be precise about what they're talking about and why they're talking about it. So not just tech for tech's sake. And also always acknowledge that the metaverse, as we talk about it, doesn't actually exist. And we don't know how it's going to come into fruition. We know it's going to require a lot of um, AR and VR evolution. That is going to mean that somehow we'll have some sort of mixed realities, which means that our virtual spaces and our real life experiences will merge. Mm-hmm. We are talking about VR go- you know, goggles and lenses at the moment. Maybe that won't actually come to be. We have to remember what happened when the computer was invented. It sat in somebody's you know, lab for decades until it actually ended up in people's living rooms, etc. So even when that technology has been made, we have to wait until the average Joe actually has access exactly. to that technology. So it's not accessible. And, you know, I think no. there's a Google Glass. I mean, everyone thought that was going to be amazing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, where, where's that gone? And I mean- I'll say it again, cost of living crisis. Like, people can't afford that right now. So at the moment, I think if it's about peeling back the elements that are important. It's this co-ownership, co-creation, you know, I haven't even mentioned decentralization, you know, Mm -hmm. like NFTs are a band-aid, but we will truly need some sort of open source ecosystem for this to be possible as well, which doesn't exist. So policy-wise, tech-wise, it doesn't exist, but it's not to say that we shouldn't talk about it. I just think we should be talking about and leaning into the right elements of it and in a consumer-first way versus tech-for-tech sake way. Mm -hmm. You've said quite similar things to... um... Uh, Suresh Balaji from Standard Chartered, who also founded the Web3 Marketing Association, and he was on our podcast a couple of months ago. Oh, wow. And he, you know, despite founding the Web3 Marketing Association, he said, I overrate the metaverse in its current state. Yeah. Yeah, because the possible, and he mentioned NFTs, the, you know, the functionality for them is going to be quite life changing. And That's what's my- life changing. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think it's mad. It's like it's been flipped on its head. Like NFTs have been talked about as like the overrated, weird, uh, finance bro type mm-hmm. thing and then these virtual spaces have been really like zoomed in on and I'm not saying that that's not an interesting way to look at it because obviously it's the only technology wise it's all we have at the moment to really base um, the metaverse or what it could look like on and this is why people ask people like me from gaming companies to shed light on things because we have worked 
within these spaces so we are able to shed light on things like representation ethics those kind of things like these learnings can 100% be applied to what the metaverse will look like in the future but to look at virtual spaces as the metaverse I think is an extremely reductive and also dangerous thing to do because it's will make people look at it as something that is overrated and it makes people just move on to the next thing versus seeing like AI, AR, VR all coming together as this mighty big change in the internet um, into Web3, um, which has been happening. Um, and that's really exciting. So that's what I meant by over and underrated. Yes, no, I think that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And like you said, it's about not being precise. I think we have these big words that a lot of people probably use, you know, like, for example, the metaverse, but yeah. probably don't know exactly what they are meaning but they shouldn't, exactly. they shouldn't really even know what it is. It should, even, like, I have to always preface that what I'm saying is theory. I don't know. I think it should be our, like... Um, eventual objective should be to to have a, a, a world where we are mixing realities we're making the internet a valued thing for people again instead mm. of this mindless scroll at the moment what we've got is a lot of information tiktok came out and um you know had an incredibly precise algorithm which meant that we were seeing more of the things that interest interested us but it's still not enough like what we're actually craving is this experience of the internet that um, you know, works really well with our real lives yeah. versus going in and out of this kind of internet rabbit hole and then versus real life. It won't be an either or, it will be... An enhancement. An enhancement, exactly. Well, this is my, you know, optimistic brain on you know maybe I think that's the only brain that. you got to have though exactly <laughs> but currently as it is um the internet's not really working a lot for people and I'll say I say that with quite great confidence we get so much of like social media is this social media is that I think the internet can be what you need it to be but not in its current state it's throwing a lot of ingredients into a mixing bowl right now but the yeah. recipes we're getting aren't providing something that's appealing to everyone just yet yeah, it's that. Yeah. And I think people like to like, put their hats on something that's tangible. So they look at gaming and in a lot of ways, gaming is the metaverse as we know it. We don't have mixed realities yet. So yeah, like mm. we have these really vast virtual environments of communities that are leaning in and using our kind of in-game currencies and, you know, they're, uh, they're playing to earn within that gaming infrastructure. Like um, I get why people are doing it, but I think like look past that as well like um it's not the be all and end all there is other exciting things to look at but also to stress that um not tech just for tech's sake like we never at ea sit there and think right nfts really cool trend guys how are we gonna um, make our games bend into that trend like no we think about the motivations of why people are playing our games we think, okay, cool, Battlefield, people love, um, you know, their status within that game. Is there a way that NFTs can add to that? If the answer is no, we move on. So I would really stress that other people take that approach versus just jumping into every kind of trend. It's very tempting. Like I love marketing tech. I love tech. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very important to look at this kind of human side of it, I would say. I guess it's also almost kind of working backwards, thinking this is my end goal. This is what I want the users, players, whatever it is to um, experience. And how does, how can the tech help that? Rather than thinking, yeah. I want to use this. Yeah, Let's yeah, yeah. awkwardly try and fit puzzle pieces together that don't work. Like, because I was on a panel a couple of weeks ago and I was speaking just like backstage with somebody who was agency side and I used to be agency side, but I haven't been 
agency side whilst the metaverse talk has been going on. Mm-hmm. But I've had people, you know, client uh, agencies have to give their clients like a metaverse idea as part of their deliverables. What? Oh. <laughs> like, so it's just forcing a the yeah. hand. Yeah. Well, know? basically, not even that. It's just like an idea that works in a virtual space. Mm-hmm. You know, but just call it that. You know, I would rather. I think using that language when you, all you actually want to do is put your, you know, FMCG physical. Um, product into a virtual space just say that that's what you want to do versus saying let's have a metaverse idea guys because it doesn't really make any sense (laughs) it's it's really interesting what you're saying about Beyonce as well and the music industry always but people's engagement with artists but also just with brands works the same way it's about being rewarded for your loyalty which I think in the cost of living crisis is all people want to do isn't it yeah um you know maintain their customers and I think one of the main Uh, takeaways that we got from our Unlocked event was that performance marketing isn't just about getting new customers. It's not about acquisition or acquiring new customers. It's also about retention and retaining. It's cheaper as well to do that. Exactly, exactly. And I think rewarding people for their loyalty is you know a really interesting way that it can because it's think oh we're innovating it's all about doing new things but this is actually about honing and looking after people that have been there from the beginning yeah which i think is a really interesting adding value to their like creating a like um the next step of their journey with you Mm. that kind of thing i mean it's harder with um kind of products i think we should maybe stop thinking of ourselves like when we're thinking of kind of non-entertainment products for example i think I don't think it's the best thing to think that people are like fans of the product or like um, this idea of loyalty. I can't yeah. remember a thing. It was Byron Sharp or something said that like there's no such thing as brand loyalty, and it's true. Mm. Yeah, well, I've spoken yeah. to John Evans on the podcast, and he's also said see, people don't care about brands. No, you know, people don't care about marketing. You know, they don't not... care about marketing. I work in a rare you know industry where people do care about the product I'm marketing, but they don't like the marketing. In fact, the better the marketing is, the more they ask why we took away from the spend on the product. We're like, well, you spent so much money on this marketing. Uh, why didn't you put that in the game? So they get annoyed. Like it's not because I work on a, in an industry where they're really excited about the product that they necessarily care or want us to do great marketing. <laughs> let's hear about your best practice and can you tell us about an exciting project that you've worked on and how you got other people's attention yes I can so uh we just released a game called Wild Hearts and it is a Japanese hunter game it's by far like it's just been such an interesting journey like um the studio didn't speak English we didn't speak Japanese so already that made things very difficult um but very interesting like this game is stunning like it's such a beautiful like it um it intertwines just the good and the bad of nature and I think that's where we got the idea for the creator strategy for this one so um it was really important as well like when you actually link the Japanese culture within that um of to think of nature as an ecosystem so we had this whole like we were discussing this for weeks, actually like months of like, what does that relationship with nature do? And what does this game add to that relationship with nature that people might have outside that game? Mm-hmm. What was really interesting is that we had two audiences. So we had like the immediate hunter gamer mm-hmm. um, who would have played things like Monster Hunter, which is a game that's been done uh, before. But we also had the vaster, uh, broader audience, um, which were just action adventure. Like action adventure can span across so much. Like it could be like it takes two. It can be 
um, you know, uh, Last of Us. They, like, it can really span across a lot of different um, IP. Is that difficult to, when you're marketing to, like we said, incredibly loyal communities, yeah. if you're trying to market to massive fans of a type of game? Yes. And how do you target different is that very difficult? Yeah, that was the big challenge. So we had that like overarching creator strategy and my challenge here was to like, okay, we've done a lot of marketing for these um, uh, Hunter fans. Great. We already, we kind of always, we're, we're going to get them, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, we did a good job getting them even more and getting them engaged until the actual launch. But like, I don't know if we've touched on the action adventure audience as much as we could. To do that, we used creators and we didn't just use gaming creators, we used lifestyle creators. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we had to really understand who our audience was outside of just, you know, playing Hunter games. We had to understand them in terms of what they like to consume, like in terms of media, like what are they interested in? And we had to take the themes that we had within Wild Heart. So we had, so to control the bad of nature or to tame the bad of nature, to enjoy the good, you use this thing called Karakuri technology, which was actually our USP. It just was like um, the most kind of sophisticated technology that any hunter game has had. So we thought, how can we take that theme and make it relevant to people that might not be drawn in by hunting games? like automatically we also took the kind of kimono the exotic beasts element of it and we took that out was one theme and then obviously we had this japanese cultural element so um things like anime link really nicely to that so we got that we looked at you know all the research that we had about our audience and we were able to kind of make some parallels between those themes and what they were interested in so for example karakuri technology we know that they're interested in tech anyway just generally so we were able to engage a creator that we had a large um portion of our audience are interested in and who makes 3D prints of technology. So she made a 3D print uh, sword that resembled the one in the game. They were already entranced and thralled by her storytelling skills and the way that she delivered information. So we just kind of jumped on that and got her Mm. to translate our themes within the game to the audience that we didn't have yet. And we did the same with um, the kimono. It was like a natural history type content bit of content Mm -hmm. that this creator created to show how exotic these animals were so they were not only able to translate those themes but actually portray them in the way that they were intended by the studio like we didn't want just ferocious beasts it was more like yes they're ferocious but it's this ferocity the beautiful ferocity of them that we really wanted to get across so it was just really great balancing out act of being really true to the themes within the game but um translating them um in the way that we knew that these um, action-adventure players would want to engage with them the most. A brand like EA that, you know, historically has games with huge success. I can't imagine what the uh, the feeling is like. Launching a new one must have been quite nerve-wracking. But yeah. So how, how did you know what good was going to look like? You know, when, when did you know, okay, this is this is, this has become a success, this is this hit the target a success. Just like, you, we've got a kind of um, constant ecosystem of feedback, really. We've got, obviously, our tactical performance marketing metrics, but we've also got um, social media analyses where we can understand the sentiment of things, sentiment drivers, um, comments, um, we can see earned media, we can see just generally what people are saying. What's really lucky about working in gaming is that you've got this kind of constant stream of um, qualitative data, mm-hmm. um, as well as the quant to kind of back up what you're saying. So, but yeah, it was really nerve wracking. 
you know, because as I said, like, especially like we're all working um, in an industry where people usually are huge fans of these bits of IP. Yeah. So yeah, it was just a bit, it was refreshing though. I really enjoyed yeah. it. And there are people, there are still elements of um, these new IP that people, because it's in these kind of genres that they're already interested in, you do have that like baseline interest of like, okay, what's EA going to bring out in this genre? Mm. Like it could look interesting and what is it? what are the similarities between that and then other games that I've played? So we're not like Barbie then in a way, you know, Barbie has, you know, this is a historic brand. So when EA brings something out, people have that anticipation because they have such high expectations from EA. Yeah. 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 Like what are they brought out this? Well, what if they bring out something, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Think even thinking about that with Barbie and also battlefield is that you've got different types of fans. Um, You've got people that liked the franchise for different reasons because they engage with different parts of that franchise at a different time. So I think that's what, when I look at something like Barbie and I look at the great undertaking that they're doing, that is so impressive to me because I'm like, how are they going to manage that? Like, how are they going to impress, you know, 60-year-old whatever to, you know, a 10-year-old who's only just been introduced to this franchise? So it's an interesting one. <laughs> before the end oh, of the no. podcast are you that's what everyone says they get through the interview and then like oh god now it's the bit i've been you know stressing about Just stressing about like selling this product in yeah yeah well it is my favorite part of the podcast which is the resell me a pen section where you will have 60 seconds and 60 seconds only to resell us an arcade game chosen specifically for you as you are EA games of course um, I feel blessed because I've seen that people have had things like horse and cart. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I was excited about giving you an arcade game, but now you said that, I do feel like maybe <laughs> we have been quite harsh in the past with what we've given out. It's quite funny. I'm glad it wasn't me though. Well, <laughs> I will get out our incredibly fancy timer. Oh my god! <gasps> Wait, can I just pretense this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna adopt the framework I do for creative strategy. So this whole problem insight advantage. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, and then. Because that's how I approach any kind of problem. Yeah, yeah. Big or small. Perfect, brilliant. Well, are you ready, Perla? <gasps> okay. When you yeah, are ready, let's go. Resell me an arcade game. Right. So the creative problem that we need to solve for is the fact that innovation, technological innovation to new and exciting pastures can cause this kind of sensory overload that people find really overwhelming. I think we're seeing that with people's social media breaks. We're seeing Gen Z who are, you know, plutzing over or um, pawning over this kind of 90s, 80s era that they weren't even alive for because they are kind of romanticizing a simpler time where innovation was just a little bit less. The insight here then is that um, the technology that existed during our childhood has been written off by innovation and in turn, um, kind of written off our childhood and what we remember is simpler and mind- more mindful times and then also simultaneously um, we're kind of prioritizing our mental health at the moment and being more mindful so I think the advantage of an arcade game is rather than getting us to jump into even more immersive worlds we peel it right back to tech that was once there to breathe a sigh of relief Tetris is a really good example because um oh, time. <laughs> Oh. Oh, all right, I'll let you continue about the Tetris example. Tetris example is interesting Tetris, because it's about how you can fit individual pieces together, but with the information that's there before you now. So you can't plan for it. You can't retrospectively work on it. It's that's something that keeps you quite mindful. 
So I was going to give a whole campaign example of having these like playable Tetris ads on social. That would be wicked. I know. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, do people do that? Surely. (laughs) I don't think so. But it helps people be a bit more mindful, especially with these calm apps and um, having like a bit of a partnership with them as well. Mm. I really like that answer. (laughs) I'm really... Because a lot of these ones, I guess, they'd be selling objects that, I don't know, they they are, they're out of date for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, people have innovated over them, but I don't think it necessarily means that it, like, um, overwrites how successful or good they were. Like, Snake, Mm. remember Snake? Mm. Oh, I loved Snake. Snake, they brought back loads of times, like, different iterations, etc. And also, you can think of games like Minecraft as a really evolved version of Tetris <laughs> like <laughs> really evolved like it's a very tenuous link but as in Lego got... as well I guess you yeah. know you keep, keep trying to put them together and they exactly work. exactly it's... they've just made like an immersive world that happens around it and they've like uh put a bit more storytelling in it but I think in Minecraft you actually can play Tetris within it as like a nostalgic um level like mm. mini thing mini if you can't that's part of my answer by the way <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, I mean, I think the answer for that one, I don't know what the listeners think, but it's obvious you have resold the arcade game, particularly, I thought, because because of the sensory overload. Yeah. You know, people, um, you know, there, there's online gamers and there's mobile gamers. There's loads of different types of uh, players, as, as you call them. But going back to arcade games, it does, it just gets rid of all the extra noise that's going on around you and you can really yeah. focus in... Um, in a way that's not too immersive because at the moment I think with gaming you know it's a large part of what we're doing every time is creating this sort of channel of escapism and to do that people need to be even more immersed more immersive more immersive more immersive because real life is just so um immersive (laughs) so you have to out immerse each other out immerse (laughs) (laughs) yeah but actually you could just be a way more simple um version and that actually might um, make you stand out even more these days. Well, how, how do you feel? Have the nerves kind of... Oh, God, it could have been sick, Lucy. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel a lot better now. I, I actually thought mine was quite easy compared to other people. I've got one for someone else. Mine's a floppy disk, because that's really mean. Oh, that is mean. Because, you know, because we've thought about that one before, and I was like, I can't give someone yes, a floppy you can. disk. Give it to them. You could always, there's always the nostalgia route with these that you can kind of just bend mm. in any way that you want. Well, <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming into thank our you. studio today. We have reached the end of this week's episode. Um, yeah, you have you have unlocked <laughs> the gaming community in virtual spaces. So Thanks thank so you much very for having much. me. It was no really problem. great. Loved it. If you want to get more involved with the Performance Marketing Unlocked podcast, head to our brand new LinkedIn community, Performance Marketing marketing world where you can send in questions meet other listeners and share your ideas basically get involved in any way you can to unlock performance marketing well thank you so much for listening don't forget to like follow subscribe leave a review anything like that because it means a lot to us and if you want to find out more about the news from the performance marketing industry Look out for our news shorts where we get behind the scenes of the news of the week in less than 10 minutes and subscribe on our website, performancemarketingworld.com. Thank you and goodbye.